Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, where we discuss all things mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. To get more information and resources, visit the website at therapyforblackgirls.com. And while I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for session 31 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. Many of you have been requesting an episode discussing how to manage grief, especially as we head into the holiday season. So I'm happy to share this conversation with you today that I had with Dr. Ajeta Robinson. Dr. Ajeta Robinson holds many titles, including therapist, educator, speaker, and author. She is known as the expert's therapist. While her accomplishments are expansive, she finds it most empowering to talk about why she serves. She specializes in grief, loss, and trauma, because it found her. She is a grief specialist because she has experienced a variety of life transitions. She is a wounded healer. Dr. Robinson was called to do grief work with clients and to support clinicians, new and seasoned, in serving through their own losses. She empowers individuals, clinicians, families, and communities through her clinical practice, speaking engagements, consultations, and her published works. Dr. Robinson believes that we are the expert in our lives. She believes we are capable of healing despite the pain we've endured. This process requires that we release ourselves from the burdens of our past, restore our bodies, mind, and souls, and gain a renewed sense of purpose in our life. Dr. Robinson's goal is to be proof that despite life's challenges, You can be your best self. Thank you so much for joining me today, Ajeta. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So I really wanted to bring you on um, because I've had lots of requests for someone who is an expert around grief to come and talk. Um, So I wanted to hear from you how you think therapy is really helpful for grief. Does it really help to kind of just talk about how sad you are? You know, it really, it does. Um, Therapy can provide a safe space. It can provide a holding space for clients who often feel unsupported in their grief. And so oftentimes it's not just sadness. It's feeling alone or feeling guilty or resentment and shame. How about that one? So as a society, we don't talk about kind of life's natural counterpart, which is death. And so when we lose someone or something, physical or symbolic, we're often unequipped to express our feelings, to adapt to this new life post-loss. So therapy provides a space to seek understanding, to seek healing, and receive support as we navigate this unknown territory. Ooh, so you brought up a lot. You brought a lot of good um, nuggets that we want to dive into. So talk to me more about um, the shame piece. What's the shame that sometimes comes up around grief? So shame can show up in a variety of ways. And so shame could be because we didn't show up in the relationships the way that we had envisioned or the way that we thought we had time to do. And so because there might be distance in how we actually were as we related to that person and how we actually wanted to be, shame can also show up 
um, when we feel relieved when someone dies. And sometimes this happens because they have been suffering a long time and we're relieved to not have to bear witness to that suffering. And that creates some shame. It can create some guilt. There's other times that we experience shame in the way that we're responding to grief or responding to the loss when that person wasn't a good person in our life, but they hold a position that says we should have a positive memory of them. So this could be mothers or fathers or other people who are supposed to have protected us or have to have been good to us in our life, and they just weren't. And so we can create some shame or experience some shame as it relates to um, our ideal of those of those people, of those things that we've lost. And so shame shows up and it can be a difficult one to unpack. Yeah, and I think we don't often think about that, right? Like I think um, you mentioned the societal expectation that you should be sad after somebody passes, but what happens when there was a complicated relationship and then you have some feelings that may not be um, quote unquote socially acceptable? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a good point. So have you found that there are any themes that tend to come up um, when you're working with clients related to grief? Yes, there are quite a few themes, but there are also the myths that impact the grieving process. And so time is a big one. Time shows up all the time. Often people come in and say, you know, I should be over it by now. And that often is a big thing that gets in the way of the actual grieving process. Um, and I remind clients that grief the grief process is a journey, and time alone will not ease the pain of absence. It will not alone lighten the burden of that which is no more. So grief is a verb in this sense. And so the themes that are common with many of our clients are you know, denial, there's regret, there's the feeling unanchored. And so many of, of our clients fluctuate between kind of accepting the loss, so whether that this loss may be the end of a marriage, a miscarriage, the death of a loved one, or even a recent move can kind of trigger this process. And being able and being in denial about what their new reality looks like, or even being able to find that new reality. And so regret often comes in, and that shows up in many forms. It can be literally debilitating and stop clients from being able to move forward. And other times it appears very purposeful. It, it can create a sense of intentionality. Um, we see unanchored clients and themes of being unanchored a lot. So what do we do now? Those are the questions that clients often ask. What do I do? What does my life look like? And so we assist clients in um, making meaning of their loss. Uh, for some, this is a spiritual process and others, it's an action oriented route. Um, and so while grief is universal, we all do it differently. And so that becomes a theme that we have to address is giving clients permission to be on their journey where they are and that it is a unique experience for each of us. And so those are things that show up quite frequently in grief work. Yeah, and I think you bring up an interesting point around, um, you know, like we, of course, think of grief when someone passes, um, but there are other things that trigger this grief-like reaction, like, um, you know, like a breakup or like you mentioned, a move. Um, yes. Can you talk about maybe are there some differences with things like that versus like the death of someone? Yeah, it depends on the impact. And so grief often, we often focus on, when we do focus on it anyway, um, are the physical losses, but there are symbolic losses. And so we might lose our mobility. Um, our elderly and other individuals experience that a lot, and they um, aren't, aren't 
don't receive the kind of same type of support or can't acknowledge that they are also going through a grief process. Um, when we move, even when we're looking forward to the move, we lose the familiar, we lose a sense of safety. And so it triggers a grief response that's very similar to our physical losses of a loved one. Um, and that often lands people in this, this space of un ambiguous grief, right? So it's not acknowledged. There's not a lot of support around it. We don't know that we're actually grieving, especially when it's things that we've chosen, like we get a new job, right? And But we're new at that new job and there's some rules we have to learn and that can create a sense of loss. We lose the safety of knowing what to expect in our job or knowing what to expect in our day-to-day. -day. Um, for kids, this happens when they transition from middle school to high school or any transition really can trigger this grief response because grief really is about the loss of safety, the loss of the known, and trying to adapt to whatever the new reality is. And so, yes, that absolutely extends to those symbolic losses. A lot of our listeners may be familiar with like the five stages of grief, right? Like a lot of people kind of hear those kinds of things. Can you talk to us about the stages of grief and if you find that kind of model really helpful in your work with clients? So I'm going to say no. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'll first steer, want to kind of steer us away from the stages because it reinforces this notion that grief is a linear process and it isn't. It often is the thing that gets us in trouble. Now, I will say the stages of grief provide, some, provide a lot of foundation um, to really understanding and exploring what grief looks like. So recently we think about grief as a process of, of mourning um, and again, moved away from a fixed stage model in which everyone goes through the same stages of loss in a fixed order. It's, it's just not true. Um, so in our recent models, and I'll focus on J. William Warden's model, um, where we talk about the task um, that can occur, the task of grief, the task of mourning. And these tasks can occur in different orders, or we can work on several at the same time, or even revisit tasks that we felt we had completed earlier. Um, and so J. William Warden's uh, task model is one of the more well-known, more recent models um, in the grief literature. And so it really involves overcoming this disbelief and denial of death by acknowledging and accepting the reality of it. And so when someone dies, there's always a sense that it hasn't actually happened. So we have tasks, the first task of the morning process really involves recognizing both the emotional and intellectually that the person is dead and is not going to return. So we have rituals built in our society um, that help us with that. So funerals are, are one of those rituals that help many people move forward toward being able to accept the reality and the finality of death. Often productive mourning acknowledges that it is appropriate that we experience pain during bereavement as long as the ways that we're experiencing the pain aren't overwhelming for the bereaved person. That's a second task. It's really being able to kind of feel what we're feeling um, and processing the pain of grief help prevent us from carrying that pain into future relationships or future grief work because it certainly can complicate those experiences. And so being with supportive people can validate our feelings and help us address that pain. The other kind of task is that the loss of a loved one requires that we make external as well as internal and spiritual adjustments. And so we have to adjust to the fact that the deceased is no longer physically with us, which allows us to move forward after the death. Depending on one's spiritual framework, it might be an opportunity for us to, to explore what our fundamental assumptions are about the world and how that leads us to in a direction of life without this person. 
And then the um, not final task, because this process can be an ongoing space of renewal for us. But one of the challenges that we, uh, we also have to tackle is to find a way to stay connected to the deceased without preventing um, ourselves from being able to go on with life without that person. And so it's not that the deceased is forgotten, but that the bereaved finds enjoyment in life again. And so that really is the meaning making process that we often have the opportunity to bear witness to as therapists. Um, it allows the client to access memories and feelings and thoughts of the bereaved without being overwhelmed. And so there's no timeline to completing these tasks, although they generally occur over months or years for some, not days or weeks, as we often kind of think about. Our society really enforces this days and weeks piece, right? It's inherent in how much time you get off from your work, depending on who it was that died. And so um, Warden points out that while it's essential to address these tasks in order to adjust to loss, not every loss we experience is challenges us in the same way. And so the important piece to kind of walk away with is though although grief and loss is universal the way we experience it is unique and individualized to each of us and so allowing ourselves permission to actually grieve um, is important this model definitely sounds um much more comprehensive and like realistic to what grief actually looks like as opposed to like okay this is step one this is step two um even though in that old model there was some like understanding of recycling this new model definitely sounds much more comprehensive and like person friendly yes absolutely <laughs> and that yeah. cultural kind of sensitivity as well absolutely yeah yeah so Something that you mentioned um, and I want to talk more about is this idea of complicated grief. So you mentioned that briefly, and we definitely have seen more come out around that. Can you talk to us about what complicated grief is and how it may be different from like just typical grief? Sure. And so complicated grief is a proposed diagnosis. Um, so it often is prolonged grief that doesn't kind of contain that meaning making process or the adaptation that we typically see following grief. And so complicated grief may, uh, we might see that if uh, an individual continues to have trouble carrying out normal routines or they begin to isolate or even withdraw from social activities. Um, we might see it coupled with depression, deep sadness, guilt, and self-blame. So again, we're looking at some of these same things that are typical in grief, but they are exacerbated or prolonged. And so you might also see clients experience um, or say things like they believe that they did something wrong or that they could have done something to prevent the death, and that is not reasonable or realistic. Um, and, and when it perhaps is, they could have done something that certainly can complicate their grieving process because that certainly creates a space of guilt and self-blame. Um, when an individual has difficulty feeling that life is worth living after the loved one is no, is no longer with them. Um, and when we have clients who say things um, such as they wish they had died along with their loved ones, these are all things that are in, indicative of complicated grieving. Um, and so those are things that we look out for. Um, that requires a different level of care, a different level of processing and unpacking for the client where we start um, with clients with complicated grief might look like how we start with clients who have experienced a trauma because for many, it is a very traumatic experience. Um, and so we might have to start with, um, we can't start with the meaning making process. They're not there. We may often need to start with um, first challenging some of those um, distorted thoughts that might be a function of the grief. 
Um, and so, again, a different space. It's just a different starting point. We always start with creating safety and normalizing um, what they're experiencing. But again, we might have to start in the thoughts that are contributing to the withdrawal before we can really unpack the actual grief. Are there any like indicators of what might trigger a complicated grief response? Like, are there some um, kind of precursors or like uh, pre-existing kinds of things that might lead to somebody having a complicated grief reaction? Sure. So pre-existing history absolutely can um, predict complicated grief. And so individuals who already experience um, major depression or suicidal ideation, we see it when individuals, um, the individual who is deceased um, was an abuser of the griever. And so that certainly can complicate the grieving process and um, create a prolonged a grief experience for some. Um, but there's certainly, um, when substance abuse can complicate the grieving process, often because that isolation is already a part of their, um, their coping. Um, and so grief exacerbates the isolation as well as the, um, the withdrawing from social activities. Often when we're, we might be hiding our substance use. And so again, grief compounds, grief amplifies um, existing patterns. Um, and so those are certainly things that can predispose people to experience complicated grief. And another one that um, we often overlook is the cumulative effect of unresolved grief can complicate it. And so each grief experience that we have is both unique and different, um, but those unresolved past losses show up each time we have a new one. Um, and they don't have to be related. They could be completely different losses, but it is that process of recovery that we may not have completed in prior losses that gets complicated by the, it triggers uh, and, and shows up when we are grieving. What does this actually look like in practice? Um, you know, so like what are maybe some of the strategies that you're using to help someone make meaning? Um, and you also mentioned this idea of like somebody not feeling overwhelmed by the experience of grief. So I'm wondering like what kinds of strategies you might use to help them maybe to be able to tolerate um, the experience of even talking about some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So we often begin with psychoeducation about grief. We have to normalize this thing. Again, as a society, we don't talk about grief. We don't talk about death. And so many of us have faulty beliefs about grief and what's normal. Um, our society reinforces these faulty beliefs. And so we often start with the debunking process. And so that's key to helping clients be able to begin the grief process. And so we start with things like uh, helping them be in their bodies and feel what they're feeling and talking about it and normalizing the sadness and normalizing the, the need to cry and express those things. We use a variety of different approaches. It, it is individualized to the client and the goals that they have of their grief and so we encourage the bereaved to make a healthy emotional withdrawal from the deceased um, in a way that makes meaning for them and makes sense for them, but also to reinvest that energy in, in new relationships and a new relationship to the deceased. Um, we utilize narrative therapy. We utilize a lot of meaning-making exercises, um, such as honoring rituals. And so for some families, um, that looks like... Um, creating new rituals around holidays um, to honor the deceased. Um, I've seen couples and clients incorporate the deceased into their marriage ceremonies. Um, one thing that's important is that we utilize the existing strengths. We utilize the communities that 
um, of support that already exists for some clients that um, incorporates their religion and spirituality, um, but being connected to people who love them and support them um, are huge sources. Those are strategies that we um, that we often use to help clients navigate their grief is who are, who are their people that already exist within their support system and helping them build community. Um, we know that there are amazing foundations that were founded as a result of grief and being able to make meaning of losing someone. Um, and so we help clients in being able to do that, again, on a very individualized, um, in, a, in a very individualized way. I have definitely found that grief typically strikes hardest at night for some reason. Um, can you talk more about like why that is and maybe some tips for like managing grief, particularly at night? Sure. So we're quiet. We're still at night, right? We, um, our mind and our body um, have a space to process what we've likely avoided with the busyness of our day. And so we need to be mindful that your body's doing what it needs to do. Grief is a normal and natural process. And so to some extent, we talk to clients about anticipating the grief response by developing a bedtime routine. This might be talking to a friend or a partner this about what you're feeling. This might include journaling. We often teach clients to breathe through their grief because often we, in anticipation and out of angst and anxiety, we stop breathing in a way that's actually healthy for us. Um, we try to avoid the feelings that are coming and grief requires that we engage in it. It is a gift um, that often is born of deep and profound love and connection. And so being able to honor that is important. So accessing prayer. But um, the, the takeaway here is that we teach clients to embrace that peace um, that can come if we feel what we feel. Um, and having support to be there when we're not okay and being able to acknowledge that we're not okay. The um, more we acknowledge where we are in our grief process, the easier it becomes to, to carry. Um, and so knowing that that is normal and natural allows us to access our support system and ask for help. And sometimes it's having someone sit with you while you cry or sit with you while you journal. Um, it isn't always talking through what you're experiencing, but knowing that you're not alone. It, it sounds like you do quite a bit of education, which you mentioned, um, which I think is exciting. And I think it also speaks to the piece of um, like when we have a friend who has lost someone, like there's a lot of anxiety that sometimes comes up for us because we don't know what to say, so to speak. Um, but I think you bring up a great point of sometimes it is just sitting with someone and allowing them to cry and not necessarily feeling the need to say something because, of course, there's nothing you can say that will make everything okay. Absolutely. A big part of this grief process is being seen and being heard. And so if you can give the gift of bearing witness to someone else's grief just by holding space and checking in with them, that can be um, a very profound experience for the bereaved. Um, there's a lot of busyness that happens around the funerals. And then, you know, two to three weeks later, we're all busy. We've gone back to our life and the and, those who are still grieving are kind of left alone, forced to pretend that they're okay and they're not. Um, and so if we can normalize that, that is a process that, again, amplifies these existing dynamics and holds space for them, we can help support them in this journey. And I wonder if you can say more about um, like some of the societal ways that we have kind of um, 
like made grief a bad thing. Like you mentioned, um, like even in our HR policy, sometimes, you know, you get at the most, I think, five days off if it's like a very close relative. Are there other societal things that you can think of that really kind of uphold these ways of grieving that aren't really healthy for people? Well, we say things like my cell phone died. How are kids supposed to understand that it is final, right? We just recharge that thing and it works again. It's (laughs) embedded in our our language, the way that we talk about it, but more importantly, the way that we do not talk about death. We think um, we have time. We don't talk about how we want to die. We don't talk about what happens after after we die. And so our family's left scrambling, trying to figure out how do we want to be buried? Do we want to be cremated? Do, you know, what do we do with the family house? And so it is, and it's a part of every aspect of our life. And we don't talk about it. We've convinced ourselves that it's the elderly that die. And so we have time to talk about how we want to live. We don't talk about the things, the losses that we experience every day, the losses in friendships, the loss of safety, the, the cost of succeeding. And so the higher we climb economically, the less support we typically have. Those are all losses. And we don't talk about those things. We just talk about the benefits that come with those different moves and transitions. And so it's, we could be here all day, everywhere. Um, that grief and loss is their taboo. And so that they're just a part of our normal, our normal avoidance of reality. Yeah, that's great. I think it sounds like you are kind of advocating for really having some of these conversations, you know, very early with family members, kind of talking about what to expect, how you want to be buried, what kind of memorial do you want, you know, like just making that a normal kind of like family planning and so to speak. Absolutely. It's a part of the living process, right? So that we can die as well as we live, but we we aren't intentional about that process because we are avoiding it. It's a universal truth and we don't want to discuss it because it's an unknown. It's a fear for many of us, which means we are ill-equipped to talk to children about death and dying. We're ill-equipped to talk to them and to assist them. In many cases, even recognize when children are grieving and how they grieve. And so we spend a lot of time talking to parents and communities and families about what that looks like how do we support ourselves but also how do we explain this process and what this means for kids and two kids and so um grief is a topic that we avoid at all costs but it's one that it's a none of us escape this life without experiencing it at some point so related to that can you offer us some of your favorite resources for talking about grief for helping to manage some of the experiences of grief Sure. So there, um, I like using bibliotherapy. So there's several books. Uh, We have one, The Gift of Grief. Um, We also recommend Out of the Darkness. That's another book that we like. Um, Other resources are really the creating rituals for grieving. Um, And this is unique to each family. Um, We utilize mindfulness-based approaches, which again can help with the meaning-making and recovery process. There are entire groups dedicated to different types of losses. And so almost everyone you can name, there's, we were recently at a cemetery that um, had a workshop. We did a workshop for individuals who'd lost a pet because that certainly is a type of grief and loss that's often unrecognized um, in that way. And so our favorite resource, hands down, is connecting folks to community. And so that could be their family, that could be a larger community um, who have shared losses. And so again, um, we use a 
a variety of approaches. In our practice, we have an art therapist, we have a dance therapist, because we know grief is a full body experience. And so we encourage clients, we encourage clinicians and other members of the community to lean into the things that already help them cope. And so for some, that's running. For some, that's other, you know, reading. And so we incorporate those things that um, are meaningful to our clients in their plans. And so think about what already works for you and see about adding that to your grief journey. Can you tell us more about your practice? And is there any news that you'd like to share about what you all are doing? Absolutely. So thank you for that opportunity. Um, So my practice is Friends in Transition Counseling Services. Um, We are located in Bethesda, Maryland. We will be opening our DC office in January. So we're very, very excited about that. Um, We do have the book, The Gift of Grief, which is available on our website. We provide a variety of workshops locally and across the country um, on a a variety of different topics. Most relevant to this discussion is serving as a wounded healer. And so we talk to clinicians and other specialists who are working with the bereaved on how we do that when we too are grieving. That's an important talk that um, we do all over the country for families and communities on grief and loss. And so we serve the community by offering consultations and educational trainings. Um, Most recently, one of our group that's pretty popular is a group for children whose parents have divorced and separated. And again, that's another space where we miss the grief process for kids um, and for those adults going through those transitions. And so that's one that is um, filling up quite quickly. And so we're very excited about that. So um, that's what we have going on. And where can we find you online? Are there any social medias that social media handles that you want to share? Sure. We are on Twitter. And so our Twitter is FIT underscore counseling. And we are on Facebook. Our name is Friends in Transition Counseling Services. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wealth of knowledge with us today, Ajeta. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Dr. Robinson and I discuss how therapy can be helpful in working through grief, how we can have grief reactions to lots of different changes in our lives, and how those stages of grief you've learned about might not be so helpful moving forward. I really enjoyed chatting with Dr. Robinson and hope that our conversation offered some strategies for how to help if you're grieving, or maybe gave you a different way of thinking about grief. Be sure to check out the resources she mentioned in the show notes. You can find those at therapyforblackgirls.com slash session 31. And please let us know what you thought about the episode. You know we love to hear your feedback. Be sure to use the hashtag TBG in session. You can find us on Twitter at therapy for the number four B girls and on Facebook and Instagram at therapy for black girls. And you know we always love welcoming new members into the tribe, so be sure to share this episode or your other favorite episode with someone new, and then join us over in the Facebook group at therapyforblackgirls.com backslash tribe. If you're looking for a therapist on your city, be sure to check out the directory at therapyforblackgirls.com backslash directory. And... I'm very excited to share that I will be starting at least one new therapy group in my practice in January 2018. So if you are in the Atlanta area and interested in participating in one of the therapy groups I'll be running, head on over to therapyforblackgirls.com backslash shift, S-H-I-F-T, and add your name to the list to be notified about all of the details. 
Thank you all again so much for joining me this week. And I'm looking forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Mm-hmm.